Welcome to Pottercast, the official podcast of the Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. You hear that, Earth? The Leaky Cauldron. And now, Leaky's own, Melissa and Ellie. Hey, Potter Petunias, it's Pottercast number 47. To celebrate this week, we have finally brought back the Extendable Ears segment, the long-lost segment that you guys have been asking for ever since it took a little hiatus. This is the segment where we speak to people who are actually involved in the production of the films and books of Harry Potter. The segment's back for a good long time this time. This week, it's Cheryl Klein. She's an editor at Arthur A. Levine Books and continuity editor on the American editions of the Harry Potter series. She's joining us as a co-host, not just an interview. She's taking part in everything this week from the news discussion to the mailbag to the canon conundrum segment, another returning segment, which is about the notorious gleam of triumph that sparks in Dumbledore's eye in book four. Now, the Extendable Ears segment itself gets into some of the elements of good writing and how Cheryl, who is a fan of the Harry Potter series since college, came to work on the Potter books. We have no modcast this week because we have been so blessed with such great conversation with Cheryl that we had to make room for it. So it's a packed show, but before we go on, we have a couple of announcements. First of all, thank you all for voting for us in the 2006 Podcast Awards. The link to do so is still up on Pottercast.com and will remain there until July 15th. So please head back every day and vote for Pottercast in the People's Choice and Culture Arts categories. Thank you very much for doing so. Uh, Also, we're currently the top Harry Potter podcast at Podcast Alley because of your dedication to hearing John Noe sing a filk to Joe at Lumos. Now, if that stays that way until the live podcast, that's July 29th, then you will get to hear John sing, and there are already drafts of this filk going around, and let me tell you, it's good. So if you haven't voted, go ahead. The link is on Pottercast.com. On that note, that's all we've got to say from here. It's time for Sue and her news. Bye. Listening to the news? Again? As if a normal boy cares what's on the news. Hello, everyone. Here are the latest Harry Potter news headlines now for you. Topping our news this week is film news, as we saw some new photos from the set of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. These photos were taken at the film studio in London, where they show Privet Drive under construction. Filming for the movie is currently on hiatus, however, and Leaky News can confirm that once it does resume, the Dursley scenes will in fact be among those first up to be shot. Actor Richard Griffiths, who plays Uncle Vernon, also recently said that he would be honoring a film commitment July 18th through the 23rd, so this is all very good news indeed. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix is due to resume filming in the middle of July. Speaking of Order of the Phoenix, new director David Yates was among those recently nominated for an Emmy Award for a film he directed called The Girl in the Cafe, which is currently airing on cable channel HBO. Congratulations, David! Turning to book news now, Scholastic.com has launched a countdown to the release of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince in paperback and has some fun things now available on their website, so be sure and check that out. Also, as part of this countdown to the release of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince in paperback on July 25th, our own Melissa Anelli, along with Emerson Sparks from MuggleNet and Scholastic Harry Potter editor Cheryl Klein will make three appearances as part of the release to the book. They will be appearing in Chicago, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles, and they will also be part of a special podcast held at the Barnes & Noble in Las Vegas on Tuesday, July 25th at 7 p.m. Please check our website for further details on all of this. 
Finally, author J.K. Rowling was presented with an honorary doctorate of laws degree from the University of Aberdeen. This was presented to Joe in honor of her generous and long contributions and support in the battle against multiple sclerosis. Congratulations, Joe! Well, for much more information on all these stories and all things Harry Potter, be sure to click on leakynews.com, which is updated daily. And now, on with the show. Welcome, guys. It's Pottercast number 47. Wow. 47. Three weeks from 50. Mm-hmm. Three weeks from 50. What happens at 50? Ooh. We all get a trophy. Jackpot, baby. It's Vegas. Jackpot. Ding, ding, ding. ding, ding. We are. We're headed for Vegas very soon. It's creeping up upon us. The big 50th show. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Which actually isn't our year. 52 is a year. Ooh. Oh, so wow. 50 really doesn't matter. Well, 52 decks. They, they've been deck. flying by. By the way, we know that we said on leakymug.com that if you have already RSVP'd for our Big Lumo show, you don't have to send another email. I mean, you don't have to do the whole little RSVP thing, but the little RSVP thing we have is much cooler and it counts you guys a lot faster than we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so handy. So maybe you guys could just go back and do a little click on, leak- on leakymug.com. Really cool. It's so easy. You just fill in your name and your email address and you say which shows you're going to and how many people you are. And boom, you go into a little database and it can count. And that otherwise, we have to have like like Sue sit there and count no. hand by hand. hand. And Sue doesn't like the grunt work. You know, Hufflepuffs are willingly be glad to do that. But if I don't have to, I will get out of there. You go. Oh, the Hufflepuffs. No, 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 no. But, if, but if, if you would go do that, that would be really helpful. Yeah. Anyway, guys. It's yep. been a few weeks here since mm-hmm. we took a little bit of a break from our by far most popular segment. Yes. What's that? Um, the wrap up. No, I mean the extendable ears. Oh, the ears. Is, yeah. Well, extendable ears da, 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 da. is probably the thing that sets Pottercast apart mm-hmm. from most podcasts in general and that in the world we the world <laughs> that we we interview people involved with the franchise that we report upon report yep. upon. So you know. People who are actually in the movies and the films have in the movies and the films, both oh, of yeah. those things. And, Very and, rare bunch they are. And are involved in editing the books. I mean, we had Arthur Levine, who is the American editor of these books on this show, which Woo-hoo. was really special. Yes. And we had, you know, we have a lot of great stuff coming in the future. And I've been promising that it would come back and promising that it would come back. But I didn't know when it came back that it would come back in such a huge Ooh. way. Oh, so, it's huge. 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 So we have with us this week somebody who is not only a very close friend of mine, but who is an editor on Harry Potter. The books. Wow. Wait, she wait. Is, who is this? Oh, it's, is this? Is this who I think it is? It, John, it, oh it, it might be time, John, I thought, for we thought you this was somebody else. To get that, pla- <sighs> get that paper bag. And, oh, oh, my God. Did I not warn you properly that your crush was coming on the show? <gasps> I thought this was Emma Watson's cousin. Oh. She's oh, next week. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Is this so? Is this really? It is hot show. <gasps> Yay! Hot Cheryl oh. is, is, is if you've been listening to this show, you know that John mentions often a woman named Hot Cheryl, and she may be the mysterious oh my oh my mysterious woman of Pottercast, but she really is oh Cheryl gosh. Klein. She's an editor at Scholastic's Arthur A. Levine Books imprint, which is the publisher of the American editions of Harry Potter. So, hey, oh Cheryl. Gosh. Hello, Hi. Pottercasters. How's Yay. it going? So you Hi, gotta- Cheryl. Hi, John. Hi, John. Hi, Cheryl. How are you? I'm good, John. <laughs> Hope you're having a nice night. That's good. <laughs> It's nice to have you here. <laughs> it's very nice to be here. John and I have actually That's hung out a lot. He's being silly. <laughs> That's yeah. Actually, yeah. actually, yeah, we've already, uh, yeah, twice now, wasn't it? Once at the thing, at the podcast, and then we had a lovely dinner together with Melissa. And, and then at the premiere. Yes. 
Yeah. And then at the premiere. Wait, yeah. Oh, so you guys have hung out plenty. You're like yeah, married. We're old, we're old chums. Right. <laughs> old chums. But how many teas has she got now? She has earned her third tea. And I know and I've said that this is not even possible to do. Well, how did she get... I said that you're capped at two, and two is an accomplishment in wow. itself. But the third tea comes along once in a blue moon, once in like a, like a solar eclipse kind of <laughs> once thing. Once in a solar eclipse. <laughs> what did I... Very rare. What did I earn my second tea for? I forget. The second tea is just for, you know, being you. Oh, okay. You know, some people can get one tea. You know, those, our guests are, you know, as common as, you know, is <laughs> not, not all that common. But the second tea, <laughs> that, that's a very rare bunch. Like Muggle Net Greg, in my own, my own personification, mm-hmm. has a second tea, naturally. Okay, okay. It's, we're not at the drums. Let's not get... <laughs> New listeners have no idea what the heck we're talking right. about. So Muggle Net Greg will be explained at the end of the show. <laughs> Suffice it to say that... John has given Cheryl her third tea, but that's not the reason that we wanted her mm-hmm. on Pottercast. No, but Cheryl, that would have been a reason enough. Cheryl has been with the editing of these books since before Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, so she's worked on two Harry Potter books thus far. Yes. And she's awesome. She's a continuity editor, and if you are a fan of Harry Potter, you know or can imagine the kind of feat that is. Yes. Or is it more correct to say you were the continuity editor on book six? I pretty much did that for both book five and book six. And people ask me what that means a lot. And what it basically means is that I coordinate the copy editing process as we're working on the books. Um, as we move from manuscript through all the design stages, when we lay out the text on the page, and then we proofread it three or four times at the very least. Um, I Um, oversee that whole proofreading process and copy editing process and try to make sure that we're all working in a consistent manner and that we're all making the entire text consistent. So every time it says Birdie Bots Every Flavor Beans, it's B-O-T-T apostrophe S flavor. (laughs) It's not hyphenated. (laughs) Every little detail (laughs) like that, every noun she invents, we keep track of. Oh my gosh. See, I thought it was like, you know, when Joe's writing and, and sometimes sometimes the Weasleys have six kids, sometimes they have seven, <laughs> the Cheryl pops in and raises her hand and says, no, actually. Actually, you know, I mean, that's one of, of the things we do. We we look through the text and, you know, yeah. some things the leg locker curse once and and then the incantation goes with the body bind curse another time. Then we try to match those up and make sure mm. everything works. Yep. So what's been so, the one uh, thing that has just been just a big pain in the butt to make sure is right every single time? Uh, but you don't have to describe it as a <laughs> I'd say um, there, it's just managing it within the time frame that we have like most of the books mm-hmm. that we do um, are about 200 pages and we have two years to work on them and this is you know 600 <laughs> 700 pages and we have about three months four months oh my god yeah, so, so it's just juggling the, the entire process in a very limited amount of time, and obviously trying to do the very best job we can for all the millions of fans out there. Wow. Yeah, sure. I don't envy. I know that that the period in which you were working on Half Blood Prince was. I mean, I think I bought you a little. You bought me a little spa kit. kit. Yeah, spa kit. Yeah, because <laughs> I, Cheryl is a very composed person, but it is a stressful stressful period but i'm looking at i'm looking at your bio we'll get into this in a little bit when we actually have our have our extendable years discussion but you also i mean harry potter is not your life harry potter is six months of your life for for a couple of times you know the most of your time you're working on other projects uh you work with lisa yi who has who wrote this wonderful millicent min girl genius book yes 
it's just so wonderful. And then there's Stanford Wong Funks out big time, but I haven't read that one yet. I because Cheryl hasn't snuck hasn't snuck <laughs> a bag a copy of my bag yet. <laughs> uh-huh. Next week. Um next week. Kate Constax and Freeman. What are some others? Um, I work on a lot of translations, actually. So I've edited um, a couple of translations by a woman named Laura Gallego Garcia, who has been described in Spain as being better than J.K. Rowling. Ooh, yeah, SmackDown on our list. (laughs) And um, I did. I edited this wonderful Dutch book called The Book of Everything about a boy who Mm. talks to Jesus regularly. And mm. <laughs> yeah, so I edit a wide range of projects, but that's part of what makes my job so fun is that you've got the, re- you know, the regular work of Harry Potter and keeping mm-hmm. that series going. And then um, so many other cool things to do. Well, let's talk about that a little later when we get into the actual pick Cheryl's brain portion of the show. Yeah. For now, let's see what's up in the news. And that's up to Sue. Well, it's news. It's hard to like not want to talk because I have like a zillion questions I want to ask you. But um <laughs> I do want to talk about the films briefly. We did see some new photos from um, the building of sets for Order of the Phoenix. Um, they're currently on hiatus, but right now the prop guys are making, and they're building what looks to be, appears to be Privet Drive for the um, yep the D- Dementor attack. I don't know, you know. So. Well, they are filming Privet Drive this month. Yeah, is what we've yes what we're hearing with our extendable ears over here. So that looks. That, are the oh. Dursleys going to be in this movie? Yep. Though? Yeah. Yep. They're back. Are you sure it's not just like they're going to use, use the house and just not bring the Dursleys back? No, they're actually building the entire, like, it looks like the entire street, mm. you know? So no, they're, they're, yeah. they're definitely back. It could, be, yeah. it could be computerized Dursleys. John? No. Well, actually, we did have a, a, a few weeks ago, we had an interview with uh, Richard Griffiths after he won his Tony Award, and he did say he would be shooting, oh, yeah. filming in July, like from the 18th to the 23rd, he'd be off filming. So... He is back, so that's good mm. news. So I thought that was really cool. That's, that's cool. And it is. It's really neat. Well, also in our news, I mean, Cheryl, this is just timely. You you are also <laughs> in our news this week. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's uh, right. We have Cheryl and I and Emerson of Melanet mm-hmm. are going on tour, on a Harry Potter tour. I mean, my God, guys, if you ever told me in my life that I'd go on a Harry Potter book tour, <laughs> I would laugh. But Scholastic is sending the three of us to three different bookstores, one of them in Vegas during Lumos, one of them right Mm. before Vegas in Chicago, and then the one right after Vegas in L.A. And we're going to have discussions about the books. And and what have we decided we're going to talk mostly about? We're going to talk about how the series changed with book six, how it might be setting us up for book seven. We're going to talk about themes that we see developing, love and death. You know, that's oh. what all literature is about. And, yeah. Excellent. I saw in the comments on that post that a lot of people were saying, you know, why do they want to promote the paperback? But, um, you know, some people haven't heard about the paperback yet, actually, or have been actually yeah, waiting to true. buy the book until paperback. And then partly it's just, you know, kind of a way to pay back the fans, you know, mm-hmm. get Melissa and Emerson out there and talking about it, <laughs> bring everybody together. It'll be huge fun. It's really- we know it's really get Emerson out there, so the girls can come out with <laughs> yeah. you know, scream. We, oh, yeah. We're at we're actually we're at in conjunction right now, which is another part of our news posting. Is, mm-hmm. um, we're at that 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 um, that uh, convention in Indianapolis, and we went to our little sorting tonight. They had an opening, and the opening when they announced all the guests of honor, they had a sorting, and I went up, and they the sorting hat had apparently read my blog and <laughs> told everybody that I was a fan of pineapple grunt soap from Lush and all this stuff, but I got sorted into Gryffindor and they made me the head of Gryffindor for the weekend. Mm. Emerson, on the other hand, 
Emerson got sorted into Hufflepuff. <gasps> Hufflepuff. He, what? He is the head of Hufflepuff this weekend. No. <laughs> it's the best thing ever. I have not stopped teasing him about it. He's, He's not he a is so mad. Is he? <laughs> No, he should be proud. He knows it. proud. He could sing gloriously as he sings that Notre Dame fight song. He could sing the Hufflepuff song. Yeah. Anyway, at this thing tonight, they had they had this this comment about fangirls and this this play that they did and how how mm. wet towels were a great way to like like ward off fangirls by just throwing them on the wet towels. So he he wrote it down. So hey, fangirls at the at the Scholastic get, tour, throw wet towels on them. Apparently, I don't know. It wait, was a joke. Wait, the fangirls should bring dry towels. So after Emerson throws wet towels, they can dry off. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. I guess you can like hold them back or so. I don't I don't You're know. Throwing a wet towels at him? What? <laughs> Apparently like cover them oh, and like wow. I don't I, it really wasn't very funny, but it was related, so <laughs> anyway. All right. <laughs> anyway. Oh, that's awesome. What else? Is there anything uh, else important? Yeah, there is. There's one more thing. Um our favorite author got a very special Is that Judy Bloom? Uh, Judy no, Bloom indeed. No. Someone who's who's much who rocks much more. Her name is Joe Rowling. John Irving. And she got her, um, she received her honorary degree this past week at, at the University of Aberdeen. She has her doctor of, doctorate of laws, excuse me, for her honor, you know, all the work she does um, in the fight against multiple sclerosis. And I just think that's really cool. And Joe said she was very thrilled. It was very exciting. So... Well, somebody asked in the comments, they were like, I'm studying for years to get my doctor of laws and she just gets it given to her. Um, you know, of all honorary degrees, doctor of laws is one that's interesting. You don't really yeah. think they would just give those out because it sort of means you're a lawyer, except without having taken the tests. Yeah. Doesn't it? Isn't that sort of yeah, the implication? It is. Pretty much. It is. But, I, I, you know, this is... She's not, no, going to be going, really, she's not going to be going right. arguing in the House of Commons at any time soon. I right. mean, you know. <laughs> well, no, th- this must be really comforting for her. Now. So now she has uh, an idea of what she can do after these books are done. <laughs> she can go pursue a lot A new career. career? <laughs> yeah. Keep make ends meet. Yeah. I don't know. Well, maybe that's how I know. She's... She's, she's... Yeah. As soon as those books are done, man, I don't know what she's going to do. You'd have to wonder, though, if she has any, you know, like, say about fudge. You know, thinking about, hmm, let's give, have make fudge or... Somebody talk a little bit more lawyer-like in the last book. Maybe. I don't know. Cheryl, have, you, have you ever met Joe? I just, I'm dying I to have know. met her once. She um, came to New York to do some media in fall of 2000, which is right mm-hmm. after I'd started working for Arthur. And um, Arthur introduced me as his new editorial assistant. And she took my copy of Prisoner of Azkaban and she wrote in it to Cheryl, no doubt you will soon be sick of my name. J.K. <laughs> <laughs> Rowling. <laughs> Oh, my God. which I thought was just so endearing and humble <laughs> and, yeah. sweet. and she was very nice as I was rambling on fangirlishly about Prisoner of Azkaban yeah. and how much I loved it and Goblet of Fire and yeah all that oh man so uh, wow both yeah. you and Melissa cool. have gotten to meet her that much just been so I just I don't know I, if I ever got to meet her I'd just probably just like grin at her like <laughs> thanks for making Hufflepuff I don't know or something stupid thanks for making Hufflepuff <laughs> oh Sue <laughs> I don't know I probably would oh my gosh you're so cute I can't take it <laughs> Cheryl will be with us for Ken and Conundrums which makes its grand reappearance Woo! on the show and a mailbag segment double E's and then our wrap up in which we have many fun things to discuss actually <laughs> okay as we do awesome. let's do it woohoo alright that's the end of the news
I think the gleam in Dumbledore's eyes is because he realizes that because Voldemort has Harry's blood, that if Voldemort kills Harry, that he will die too. And then I think that explains why Dumbledore is disappointed, you know, why the gleam immediately leaves, because he realizes Harry would be dead then. So what good would it do? Or just that, you know, he loves Harry. I think it's pretty significant because I think, again, you know, Dumbledore is realizing something that Voldemort is not. Um, he realized that, you know, Harry's mom dying for him and the love sacrifice was what saved Harry and Voldemort didn't realize that. And I think it's going to be something like that where he doesn't realize what he's done. Uh, not to bring up the whole Mr. Blood theory again, but I think it's going to come down to something similar like that where, you know, him having Harry's blood in him is going to eventually lead to his downfall. I think that all these conspiracy theories about the gleam in Dumbledore's eyes are um, a lot of overanalyzing. I really think that Dumbledore was just surprised to know, or not surprised, he was, he felt triumphed that he was right about Voldemort returning and that it would happen someday. Maybe he figured that the wizarding debt between Harry and Peter Pettigrew was passed on since Voldemort used Harry's blood and Pettigrew's flesh, and since Harry's so full of love because his mom sacrificed him and all that, that maybe now Lily's blood is running through Voldemort, and since she was obviously filled with so much love and caring that maybe a little bit of love is in Voldemort and could maybe lead to his downfall since he can't stand that. I think the gleam of triumph in Dumbledore's eyes was the fact that Voldemort used Harry's blood because up until that point in the series, Baldy can't, couldn't touch Harry, and so there was always that safety net that he can't touch Harry, nothing bad's gonna happen. This is another realization that this is the, the real wizard world and bad things do happen to good people. And so that makes Harry have to work harder to defend himself and in a way to get rid of Baldy. So I think to sum this odd thing up that Dumbledore was happy that Harry, in a way, is forced to grow up more in the fight against you-know-who, and we all can touch him now. And now it's time for Canon Conundrums. Listen in as our panel tries to figure out one specific issue from the Harry Potter canon. Who could possibly figure that out? And we're back with Canon Conundrums. It is making its Yay! return. Yay! I've missed it. I don't know. I don't think anybody's missed it. What do you think? No, we've hardly gotten any comments about <laughs> such a thing. No emails screaming. Yeah. But it's sad for, because for not having because it. many of those voicemails said, "Bring back Steve," and you know we we tried, but we can't do it yet. <laughs> He's still a busy Steve. Yeah. He's a busy Steve, yes, but he um, He's a busy. But Cheryl Steve. is with us again. Woohoo! Indeed. For this segment. And she's going to try to be, try to uh, fill in here in, in, the, in the Steve's shoes. But um, uh, Cheryl, do, are, you, are you aware of Canon Conundrum? Oh, yeah. We sort of explained it. Oh, here. yeah. Great. Well, this, this week's topic of discussion on Canon Conundrums is the mysterious gleam of triumph in Dumbledore's eye that we see at the end of book four when Harry talks mm-hmm. about Voldemort having his blood. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. Now... Does somebody have the, the quote handy? Can we find out exactly I do, right here. the wording? 
Oh, <laughs> you have to have evidence. Um, so the quote is, for a fleeting instant, Harry thought he saw a gleam of something like triumph in Dumbledore's eyes. But next second, Harry was sure he had imagined it. For when Dumbledore had returned to his seat behind the desk, he looked as old and weary as Harry has ever seen them. Now, what's right before, what causes that? What's right um, before it? Okay. He said my blood would make him stronger than if he'd used someone else's, Harry told Dumbledore. He said the protection my, my mother left in me, he'd have it too. And he was right. He could touch me without hurting himself. He touched my face. So. <laughs> I have to say, this is the what first time I've thought about this since books, I, I think, in any depth since <laughs> yeah. book six came out. And this, I think, yeah. is the best piece of evidence I've read yet for the Harry is a Horcrux theory. No, I, I know. Oh. I know it's nasty and awful. I know it is, but I mean, he said my blood would make him stronger than if he'd used someone else's. Like if he's got, if he's got Voldemort's soul, and he's reinforcing Voldemort is reinforcing his own soul with the soul from Harry's, with the blood from Harry's, from the piece of his oh, soul God. that is in Harry, and then, but what and if- then he can touch him. And then that would also explain like Dumbledore would look triumphant because hey, we now have a way to defeat. Voldemort, but then he looks old and weary because, oh crap, Harry has to um, suffer. Well, but here, here, <laughs> die. Don't say it. No. <laughs> here, here's my question then. Dumbledore goes through a very specific breakdown of where he thinks the Horcruxes are in book mm-hmm. six, and he doesn't include You're Harry right. in that. You're right. I think he would have told him if. It's something. Well, by the way, kid, you're a horse. Yeah, by the way, dude. <laughs> you're a secret weapon. Yeah. <laughs> I think upon hearing that again, because I'm like Cheryl, I- I've let myself become unfamiliar with it because of, you know, it's just what you do. I think that because Harry has the same blood as Dumbledore, and I know that's going to launch another conversation, but before you start with Mr. Blood. Yes. Because Harry shares, because, okay, let's just say that Harry shares Voldemort's blood, that now their bloods are the same, right? Yep. Dumbledore had to enter the cave using blood. And I think that maybe Voldemort would protect another Horcrux with blood, but his own. And you you could only be Voldemort to get into the Horcrux. So maybe Harry, you know, maybe them sharing this blood now is the way that they they will be able to get to all Horcruxes. You know, but but I mean, I have, uh, but Harry doesn't have Voldemort's blood. Voldemort just has. See, this Harry's is this conversation. Just tell John this, please. Yes. They. So Harry doesn't have like special yes. access or anything. Voldemort's blood is Harry's blood. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, because Voldemort didn't sure. put any of his blood in Harry. Right. He, he took yes. some of Harry's blood. So he has Correct. Harry's blood in him, but Voldemort mm-hmm, does exactly. not have. Um, but Harry does not have Voldemort's blood in him. Oh, unless he's a but Horcrux. John supposes, but John, <laughs> but John is supposing that he's a Horcrux. Think about but John that, supposes, John supposes that all the blood inside Voldemort is made up of Harry's. That it's that it's therefore identical. They have the same blood. So yes. it's not exactly Voldemort's blood and Harry, but they have the same blood. Yes. But Harry, and that if he okay. makes a Horcrux now and protects it in blood, Harry will be able to get to it. Yes. Okay. Pretty huh. simple, if you think about it. It's pretty simple, my foot. Pretty simple. Hmm. This, this spawned the whole Mr. Blood conversation. Okay, I missed yes. that. Yeah. It's just so hard to explain it otherwise without personifying things. 
Sean goes, okay, let's, let's call Harry's blood Mr. Blood. Okay. Yep. They both have Mr. Blood, you know? Yeah. I gotta say I really don't think that my interpretation of what the, the gleam of triumph is, is is a lot different um, I just think that for a fleeting moment that Dumbledore realized that for him I think that there's a certain amount of competitiveness with Voldemort and that he thought and perhaps this is what Joe wanted us to think I don't know maybe I'm just reading the shallow obvious end of it but that Dumbledore that Voldemort has done something that Voldemort or that D- Voldemort has done something that Dumbledore had predicted that he would do and that he was like aha I predicted it and I knew that D- that Voldemort was going to do it this way and that that mm. ultimately this will lead to his defeat in the end and I think for me when I was reading that that's what struck to me that that Dumbledore was like aha I've got this guy pegged I know what he's going to do and and this ultimately will lead to his his demise and that that Harry's, if it has to do with the mixing of the blood, that the, the the goodness that's in Harry will ultimately lead to Voldemort's demise. I don't. I'm not so a big proponent sa- of the big Mr. Blood theory. Oh, so. Sue. Sorry. So you're saying that Dumbledore then Dumbledore recognized a big a big yes, error I do. I, a big flaw. yes, that's exactly what I thought it was. That I didn't I didn't see any of this other other kind of may, maybe I'm just reading it at a at a shallow level. I don't know, but that's just to me that's what it that's what I thought it was. Because I think there's a certain amount of, you know, I mean, he was, uh, Dumbledore was Voldemort's teacher, you know, and, and Dumbledore seemed to be, and we learned in book six how he was, he was really aware of, of Voldemort very early on. I mean, he knew, he sensed this in him all along, and I just think that, that maybe that there was a certain amount of pleasure that, that Dumbledore took, not, I mean, not in a good sense, but that he knew what Voldemort was capable of and what he was going to do, and, and that, that, that he thought that if he was smart enough that he could out not outmaneuver him, but just predict or be aware of what he's going to do. And that's well, this will help the good side win. I don't know. Sue, so I was just looking at the text again in light of what you just said. And um, the, it goes, he said the protection my mother left in me, he'd have it too. And so that would, and if the protection his mother left in him is love, mm-hmm. maybe that means there's now a little bit of love in Voldemort. Yeah. And, that's and, like, that, that, would, that, and that would be reason for for Dumbledore to feel triumph because that would mean that he has at least some sense of sympathy mm-hmm. maybe or some hint of humanity now that he it's didn't have before. to work on the ground of the excellent yes yeah yeah huh huh interesting huh. interesting John. the plot thickens yes in case it needed plot two more <laughs> because uh, doesn't yeah. he go on to say something or maybe it was later on about the old magic and that Voldemort said he should have foreseen the old magic and that the, you know here's Dumbledore is is he knew that Voldemort would not anticipate that you know and I just I don't know what do you think John well what about the possibility that Dumbledore was just excited that Voldemort was back and figured out a way to do it thanks John because Dumbledore wanted a chance to fight Voldemort again He got it. It showed up. Not on anybody's phone. radar. <laughs> Not on anybody's radar. <laughs> Not on my radar. Have we crossed that one off the list? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're yeah we're crossing that one off okay, the list. Okay. Well, so just what, as long as we can cross theory? it off the list. Um. You know, is isn't this also the part where he used that silver little instrument? And saw the two little snakes eating uh, each other. No, different books. Different out. book five. No. Yeah. God, I get so confused. That's about the dreams. Um, <laughs> right. In so, okay. Well, I think that he looks tri- just triumphant because it's like, 
one more piece of the puzzle fell into place for him. That piece of the puzzle is going to be something that is, is going to have him uh, on on the path to figuring out how they can uh, finally defeat this guy. And that, yeah, also that maybe Voldemort made a play that uh, went into uh, Dumbledore's favor there. And uh, that probably he, I mean, I think the only logical reason that he could get all sullen looking all of a sudden and upset is that um, it has to do with, like, either some, obviously, the big danger for Harry or possibly uh, Harry uh, having to die. Don't, or, the, what? Or something. I didn't hear what you just said, huh? Uh, I refuse to uh, acknowledge what you just well, said. See, I think very well <laughs> that Dumbledore could think that Harry's yeah. going to have to die, but I don't think that that means Harry will have to die. I think that it very well could be a Harry, you know, overcoming this notion that he has to die like he's going to figure out some other way to do it without because you know this is something that only harry uniquely is going to be able to do so it's going to be like oh you're going to have to die harry's like no i can do it this way and you know and then he still well, the beats books repeatedly repeatedly say that it's not anything it has nothing to do with fate it's all about choice and so you know he can choose not to do what fate is telling him so that's why i think um that's why I think there's going to be a last-minute save, the last-minute, like, bang moment where everything comes together and all the themes that she's doing and weaving or whatever kind of explode in this last choice mm-hmm. that saves everything. I don't know. But that has yeah. nothing to do with the gleam, so... Yeah. So yeah. she does in every individual book, so you expect her to do it for all seven, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. What's that? Oh, just have a big bang because moment where everything comes together. All the plot lines are suddenly, like, boom, right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. It would be the best bang moment that the seven. What was the, what was the big had. bang in book five? Sirius dying? When, when well, he realized that's not that it was a, big a trick. Bang. No, 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 there was the dream. He was tricked there. there was, I was going to say there was the dreams and then. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dream that tells him he needs to go to the ministry, then Umbridge feeds into that, the DA feeds oh. into that. Um, oh, yeah. the, it's, it happens it's, during it's, a test. And then when he gets to the ministry, that pays off the scene earlier in the book when he had his his yeah. trial it's when all of, all the little things that you don't quite know are happening are suddenly explained and that's when harry realizes that he was tricked into going to the okay, ministry the dreams sense. make sense yeah. the possession makes sense i mean everything just starts to make sense right. you know and yeah. i expect her to just because i think that that's a that's a that's a a yardstick she would put on herself too. I think that's mm. a pressure she would put on herself too to make it all come together yeah. Yeah. as this one giant cohesive series. Yeah, I mean that's what's so great about her books. I mean she's got these this two track system going on. She's got the internal books, this you know the the books as mm-hmm. as, a, as a whole, and then the series. And I just I'm, it just amazes me that she can do both at the same time. And I wow, can't wait for book seven. That's all. Woohoo! <laughs> so I think we're up to the wrap-up portion of, of Canon Conundrums. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is, I guess, the final thoughts. Yeah. But we just kind of did that, sort of. Yeah. We did. Well, let's go, let's go with the quick wrap-up. Okay. Sue, what do you think? I think the gleam of triumph meant that, that Dumbledore had figured out that he had predict, what he had predicted about Voldemort was right and had nothing to do with blood, but that... that that Voldemort was going doing things in a way that he had he had thought, and that he realized that there was a vulnerable a vulnerability to Voldemort. Now, that's what I think. Big J. I think that Dumbledore's theories is that um, how Harry will be able to defeat him will have to do with the all of the connections between um, Harry. And Voldemort, specifically with his curse scar, 
and that the fact that they now share the same blood only strengthens all of the different connections that the two of them share and that it's it's just kind of adding just that much more credence to his theory that it's going to be Harry. It has to, the prophecy has to be true. And him realizing exactly what the uh, consequences of that could be was what made them all sad all of a sudden or grave looking. That's going to that... be a really long poll option. Yeah, well, that's why we have Kimmy. <laughs> <Our page. laughs> hey, me too. No, I'm just saying. Um, I think that it's about his blood that something about him having about that blood exchange or whatever the heck that was will will be the key to the downfall um cheryl i don't honestly believe this but for the sake of the poll i'm going to say (laughs) it's because uh he realized that harry is now a horcrux and it's part of his soul so I, I want to go on record as not believing that, but for the okay. poll, that's what it is. <laughs> we'll say, that's we'll put an asterisk. It'll be our only right. asterisk. Yeah. Poll option. <laughs> well, that's it for this week's counting conundrum. We don't have a topic for next week's week because we don't know if Steve's going to be back. We'll make a post on the main page of Lakey as soon as we do. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you have any ideas of which canning conundrums you'd like us to tackle in the coming weeks you can email us at staff at podcast.com mm-hmm. canning conundrums topic in the subject on that note yes bye bye come back for extendable ears it's coming uh, the mail's here mail oh great thanks it's the mailbag the mailbag it's, time it's the mail for that mail. never fails except that it failed for a few weeks in the world because we had counting conundrums and then when we have counting conundrums the show is too packed and we can't get a mailbag in there but we're gonna try it anyway but it's back we're and we're here with john and sue and one miss Kine with us to answer all your your questions you've actually been sending in questions about cheryl mm-hmm. to our voicemail so we're excited for those i think we got they're a all about how she how she attained her teas <laughs> yes <laughs> All right, John, why don't you go ahead and... Hi, this is Arthur from San Antonio. Uh, I wanted to ask about the 7-7-2007 rumor about the release of Book 7. I think it would be practically impossible for Rowling to want to release the book on the second anniversary of the London bombings. I was wondering what you guys thought about that. Okay, thanks. Well, before we answer this question, we should we should clarify, guys. Cheryl is here answering questions and voicemails and doing kind of conundrums, but nothing she says here indicates any knowledge on behalf of Scholastic. There's yes, nothing, I right, know Cheryl? it precisely as much as you all know, and I'm waiting precisely as desperately for clues and so on too. So. Um, yes. So I don't know anything in particular right now, and I'm a little bit hesitant to answer that question just because I don't like to speculate about her mind, you know? Um, in some ways, it'd be a neat tribute to Britain if it came out on 7707, the spirit of British resilience and everything, I think. Um, but it totally mm-hmm. depends on her writing schedule and, um, and when she finishes it, and she totally will take as much time as she needs mm-hmm. and we want to give her that to make well, the book as great as it can be do you have any insight uh <laughs> uh cheryl i don't know if this is something you can say or not um do you know i mean who is the people that have the most influence of when the previous books were released was it joe says oh this really should come out on this day or was it more uh the publishers um that kind of set these dates it's sort of a group discussion um joe 
gives us the manuscript and um, then uh, there's a discussion about what kind of work it needs to be done on it and how long that might take and then um, the, the Bloomsbury people talk to the scholastic people and these are very high level discussions including Arthur and Emma Mathewson her British editor and so on and um, and like the CEOs of the companies and they all settle on the date together mm-hmm. but Joe is definitely wow. one of the driving forces in that too but it That's primarily cool. depends upon when she finishes the manuscript and when she's comfortable sure. passing it on and it just shows up out of the blue one day, like just out of the blue one day, somebody says, hey, Harry Potter's in. Or <laughs> You've, got <laughs> yeah. You've got mail. Um, You've got more, more millions of dollars in your inbox. You have a lot <laughs> of work book. to do in your well, mailbox. Um, so, yeah. I think you can sort of look back at the, when the release of the last two books were announced and, mm-hmm. and figure out, like it's, yeah. I just don't see it happening on that day just simply because of the, I would like to raise the possibility because of the movie release and we, there's been a vast discussion about the intensity and the hype for just this book and then um, the movie is coming out on July 13th and I believe that will, you know, like, like Cheryl has said that it's Joe's call and those people discuss it, but I just, I to my mind, I think it would just be a huge, just a massive blanketing of the world in Harry Potter, and I just can't see them doing it. I just think it would be a frenzy. Well, I even said this, Emerson and I were discussing this last night, and I, I don't want it like that. Yeah, I don't want all, the next movie and the next book done so quick. Oh, God. Be sad. You know? I'd be like mm. a crazy, you know, rush of, you know, excitement just too fast and then it's done it's like what yeah, where'd it go what happened you yeah. hit it you hit an excitement ceiling you know like there's no there's no way to properly process all that yeah in such a short amount of time the way it was done last time i thought was great i mean we had the book and then three months later i was just about ready right, for the film right. anyway can we go to the next voicemail okay hey y'all this is george originally from alabama now residing in florida hi john Nelly. And I was just wondering if y'all ever read fan fiction. And if so, do you ever read fan fiction of a ship or theory or genre not of your own liking or favorite? Um, And if so, have you ever found one that you really, really think is awesome that you'd like to recommend to the rest of us out there who's open to reading different things? Um, I've been on the portkey a few times and seen some cool stuff, even though I am a Harry Jimmy. So I was just wondering if y'all ever did the same. Hope you're well. Bye-bye. Um, I have read very, very limited fan fiction, and mostly from writers who I was already familiar with for their work in like other fan fiction genres or something like that, and they'd done Harry Potter work, and I was a fan of what they'd done, so I read their Harry Potter stuff. Um, again, that sort of falls in the category of theorizing. Like, I don't want to get any other stories going on in my brain that might confuse what I'm actually working on when I edit. <laughs> I'm making myself sound like I'm very, very important here. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm mostly copy editing. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but I, um, I, I don't read a great deal of fan fiction, no. There's, partly there's so much out there that it's hard to know what to wade through or where, the, where to go, where the best stuff is. So there's plenty else to read, too. Well, that's, that's super smart, though, because I can, I mean, just from, from my uh, reading of fan fiction... It, it tends to even screw me up when I'm trying to think of things we're talking about on podcasts, like yeah. random details about stuff, like trivia and things. And it's like, I'll say something, but I'm like, wait a second. No, that was from like a fan fiction or something I read a few weeks ago. It's like, you can f- easy to confuse the, the canon with the, um, 
the uh what are they called the fan yeah <laughs> the, yeah. The, 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 the stuff from the fan fiction yeah. and for you that could that could be definitely uh you know way counterproductive to what you're doing when i got to the end so. of um book six and remus got together with tonks i thought yeah. oh man there are gonna be a ton of disappointed slash writers out there yeah <laughs> um <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I, had a, I had a disappointed slash friend with me oh, at really? the time so yeah oh. mm-hmm. yeah i felt bad for yeah. all of them but there it was do you, do you read fan fiction too? um do i i read only some i i'm i'm really interested in the four founders so i like try and look for those but i don't see too many i've actually thought but I'm a terrible writer, so I cannot write. Writing is not something. I mean, it's not. That's not well, true. I mean, I can't be like creative writing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I could, I could. I know what and, you mean. And for so for me to do it would be folly. It would just be a waste. And and um, so I do read some. I just don't have time. I mean, I know that sounds terrible. I just, I just, I don't. I mean, I'm aware. Yeah, I used to read a lot more fan fiction than I, I do. Oh, no, I'm that's sorry, okay. So I mean, we're both just. It's just. <laughs> It's crazy, you know? I mean, just going through the emails alone each day are challenging enough for me, so I don't know. Hey, Pottercast. Um, this is, again, Cal Mahaney from the Poconos. Um, I was wondering how many times each of you have read the books. I, myself, have read the entire series through 11 times, as well as Ed, um, and I've read the first book 13 times, and the sixth book, including the 11 times plus once or 12 times. Bye. Um, the first four I've read, I read for pleasure. I read just as a fan and I've probably read them in total just two or three times each. But, um, the, the fifth and sixth books, and then I go back to them all the time, you know, to use them for reference. And the fifth and sixth books I've read, book five, I probably read four times and book six, I read six times in the course of editing it. Um, this is in the course of about four months. <laughs> wow. And, um, wow. Yeah, and I haven't really given them a good read through since, although I'm going to reread um, Half-Blood Prince. So I, I've read them far less than a lot of the fans, but that's mostly because I'm working on other books at the same time. And I read yeah. most of the manuscripts I edit at least five or six times. Hey, Cheryl. Do you have any advice for aspiring editors? Like what classes to take in school, what to major in, etc.? Thank you. Bye. That's a great question. Um, I would say that the most important thing to learn um, is how stories are put together. And there's actually a lot of different ways you can learn that. The best way is really just by reading a lot of books and getting a sense of um, of how books operate and how they're put together. I was an English major in college because I like reading stories more than anything else. And... Um, and we spend a lot of time analyzing theory, you know, like what are the feminist implications of Jane Austen's novels. But um, I also had a really great teacher who taught me a lot about plot and how plot works. And I've used that all the time as an editor. Um, and then uh, I think it's great if you can work on your college literary magazine or in a college newspaper. If you work in a literary magazine, you'll start to develop your taste, like what you'll what you'll see bad writing and good writing and start to figure out the difference between the two and th- and really thinking about what makes the difference between the two is a lot of what editors do so that if you have a piece of bad writing you can help turn it into good and um if you work on your college newspaper or something like that then you can um you'll both get to know basic copy editing which is enormously useful and um you'll learn how to you know read other read people's things and how to communicate those changes to them in a uh the changes that need to be made in a diplomatic manner. 
as I'm sure Melissa can tell us all about. <laughs> Being one oh, of those reporters. Diplomatic. Um, diplomatic. Diplomatic, yes. yes that doesn't often happen in the real world of journalism. Your editor just says, you know what? This is going to get changed and you have nothing to say about it. So you guys have a much, you're much, you're much nicer to the people who have written. Yeah. But the most important thing is really just um, reading a lot of good writing. If you get a chance, intern at a publishing company um, during a summer Scholastic has a great program. Almost every publisher offers a publishing internship during the summer. And um, just, and then find your passion, you know, the thing you really love or the kind of books you really love. And then head straight for that. That's yeah. awesome. Awesome. Cheryl, you're Thank so you, Cheryl. My you're brilliant. Well, I think yes, she is. You have so many teas. I'm very pink, too. John's in love all over again. You have so many teas. Woohoo! Cheryl, you have so many teas <laughs> that you'd have to copy. You'd have to copy <laughs> everything out of the manuscript. <laughs> so, I think that's all probably right, we, enough okay. mailbag. Okay, bye-bye. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Time to put on our extendable ears. Listen in on Potter Talk from the people making the magic. Welcome, guys, to Extendable Ears. We finally have it back. Yay! Yay, the ears, the ears, the ears, the ears. It's a group Extendable Ears this time, and if some of you are new and and haven't been around when we've done Extendable (laughs) Ears... This is what we call the portion of the of the podcast where we speak to people who are actually involved in the creation of the films or the publication of the mm-hmm. books. And we have with us again this week Cheryl Klein, editor of at Arthur A. Levine Books, Yay. which the publishes editor Harry Potter. At Arthur Levine Books, of a whole who's not involved. Oh, guys, picking on poor Arthur. Well, John has called has called Arthur the bull guy every single I know, time. But still, we've mentioned him. Cheryl has oh, okay. Cheryl has much better hair. <laughs> I certainly have more have hair. That's that's a definite. Yeah. <laughs> Since we did a th- a big three week um, breakdown of all things Potter with Mr. Levine, we're going to do take a little bit of a t- different tack here with Cheryl because she also works on the books but in a different capacity. So, Cheryl, we should just disclaim first of all that you and I are very good friends, and you know, yeah. In saying that I love you, I'm just very biased. So frequently have slumber parties and pillow fights and makeup nights and (laughs) makeover nights. Crazy fun! Um, All those fun things. We do go to rock concerts, but we'll talk about that later. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, in over the course of getting to know Cheryl, I've heard a lot of her stories, and one of my favorites is how you how this happened because you were a big fan of Harry Potter before you became an editor of the books. Um, so how did that happen? I, I hadn't read them. And I was going into my senior year of college and Prisoner of Azkaban had just came out. And I was driving up to college with my best friend and roommate. And um, she had, I was sitting in the back seat and she had Azkaban back there. And I just picked it up and I started to read. And she was about halfway through it. And it caused a little like, a lot of friction in our room for the first week we were at college because it was one of those cases where whenever one of us would put the book down, the other one would grab it and start to read it. And we just went back and forth like that all week until she finished it. And then I had it totally to myself. And then um, I bought Sorcerer's Stone, which had just come out in paperback with my economics textbooks and all that. So that's that's how it started for me. And of course, then I was desperately hanging around the internet looking for clues to... uh, Book four, which is coming out the following fall, summer. 
Wow. Were there, were there many sites out at that time? There was one called the Unofficial Harry Potter Fan Site, which was run by mm-hmm. somebody named Jenna. And I don't know what happened to it, but it was site. a fabulous site. Like, it, it was the proto-Leaky Cauldron of its time. And um, yeah. she brought together, like, all the media that was out there and everything that people knew and stuff. And so, wow. yeah. And then she, she disappeared. disappeared. But then what happened after you? After you graduated, uh, after I graduated, I went to the Denver Publishing Institute, which is this—I I usually call it publishing camp—for people who know <laughs> people who knew, know they want to be in publishing, and it's like a four-week institute at the University of Denver where you learn about editing and about marketing and about um, all the different jobs that go into publishing. Because I mean, people tend to think mostly of editors, but we have a fantastic business staff, we have production staff, we have manufacturing staff, we have designers who are great, and um, all of those people play a really important role in bringing the books to press. And so I learned about that at the Publishing Institute. I learned, and then I just sort of narrowed in on my own publishing interests, which were that um, I really wanted to be an editor, and I really wanted to work in children's books. And... um, and a woman I met there named Susan Hirschman was an editor at HarperCollins at the time. And she was fantastic. Like, I looked at her and I was like, you are the person I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I wrote her a letter after the Publishing Institute in- in- ended saying, I'm coming to New York. I would love to work for you. And she called me the week I was in New York. And she just left a message saying, well, I don't have a job available, but Arthur Levine is looking for an assistant. And I was like, Arthur Levine, Arthur Levine, how do I know that name? And then I put it together, and then I started screaming and jumping up and down, (laughs) because uh, I I realized that he edited Harry Potter. And... um, and oh Susan God. called wow. Arthur and gave him my name and sent him my resume. And because Susan, he knew Susan from way back, um, he granted me an interview. And I was the last person he interviewed that week um, that he was looking for an assistant. So it was totally an act of God or of fate and everything else wow. that I was there at the right t- place at the right time. Well, how did that interview go? <laughs> Um, it was a terrible, terrible interview. And Arthur will tell you this the same way. Um, I, I was wearing contacts at the time and they really bothered my eyes. So my eyes were pretty bloodshot. <sighs> and he thought briefly that I was a drug addict. And, oh my God. and then I was incredibly, incredibly nervous because I just wanted the job so much. And some of those things, you know, like, oh, when you're out on a really a date with uh-huh. a guy you really like or just anything, you know, you're really excited and you're really nervous. And um, so I could only ask him stupid, stupid questions. And in the end, he decided I was not a drug addict and that it was very sweet, but I was also very shy and that um, and he didn't really know what to make of me. But um, in publishing, you have to write these things called reader's reports, which is where you get a manuscript and then um, you read through it and then you write a summary of the manuscript and then you write your assessment of the manuscript. Like, what is is its strengths, what is its weaknesses, and ultimately, should it be published? And that's a very basic editorial assistant task. It's just the number one thing you have to do. So um, Arthur gave me three manuscripts to write reader's reports on, and I took them home, and I did them straight away, and I had them back at his office, you know, at nine the next morning. And um, my reader's reports were strong enough that he asked me to come back for a second interview where I proved that I could talk. And, um, and then I got hired. So, which was still one of the most dizzying and exciting and breathtaking experiences of my life. And 
wonderful. Yeah. So you so. then, as an editor, I mean, as a huge fan on one hand, but now you have to like put on an editor hat. When that manuscript came in, when it was time that you would be working yeah. on Harry Potter, what was what well? Was there that was a like? lot of internal squeeing, you know, <laughs> a lot of like, yeah. oh my god, oh my god, it's the manuscript, and so on. But then it really is just like every other book we edit, you know. It's just um, you still have to look at it. You have to ask all the same questions. Um, how can we? What are the characters doing? Is does this plot work? Um, is there anything that feels extraneous that we should tighten? What are the themes that are, that are going on here and how can we help the author develop those or bring those out to their fullest extent? Um, it's really absolutely just editorially. It's just another book. <laughs> I mean, obviously the, uh, um, it's a very big book and it's a book that's very dear to all of our hearts, but we go through the same process with it that we do for everything else. Wow. I, I have a question. Joe is famous. She recently even posted on her website that she likes to write things out longhand. Do you, when right. you get the manuscripts, are they are they typed out? I mean, oh no, they're I, typed I mean, out. I, they are. So yeah. there's no like smiley faces or any cool neat, neat no. stuff from Joe on there. <laughs> no, <laughs> that'd be awesome. That would be like Ron and Hermione finally kissed. My <laughs> yes. 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 I mean, lots of times when we're writing edit, when you re, when I. When Arthur or I read a manuscript for the first time, the process tends to be that we make um, we make reaction notes first thing, because mm-hmm. really a lot of editing is about being the ideal reader and sort of tracking your reactions and knowing and then figuring out whether that's what the author wants you to feel at that time. And you do this both like on an overall basis and on a line by line basis. So a lot of our notes the first time we go through, and particularly Arthur's, since he's the first person who reads it and so on, um, will be like smiley faces and, uh, oh my God, I love this and <laughs> LOL and <laughs> all these sort of things, yeah. you know, yeah. like we track those reactions and then we go back and we look at them to figure out what we want to help the author work on. It sounds like an IM conversation <laughs> on paper. <laughs> it's, wow. it's, it's like an IM conversation with that. the manuscript. You know, you're in constant sort of dialogue yeah, with the manuscript. That's so funny. Yeah. I can, he- I can see the avatar hero. <laughs> They're going to make animated avatars <laughs> of pieces of the manuscript coming up when like A.A. Like, like a. A. Levine answering smiley <laughs> yes. yeah. Not really, quite the same yeah. as Tom Riddle's diary, but that's so cool. <laughs> no, not no. quite. <laughs> awesome. So but, if, go ahead, Sean. If it happens when, if you were reading something in the manuscript and you're it's like something that everybody was reacting wrong on. Like, say, it's like, like um, the the spell that spins the guy upside down and dangles from his feet, and you know, you end up feeling really sad for the person instead of, you know, it's someone you're not supposed right. to like or someone you start to empathize with that you're really supposed to be not a good person. Like something like that. That's that may be a bad example, but it, is that is that at that point when you have it, is that something that you're responsible for correcting, or does it go back to Joe when she has to correct things? Well. We, res- we respond to that. So, like, um, if there was something that we saw that we didn't think Joe intended, like, suppose she was writing um, Harry smirked. And, you know, smirked has kind of a negative connotation or something. It tends to imply that you're doing something a little bit um, skeezy or a little bit, you know, just a little bit cunning, a little bit slytherin-y. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and it felt more uh-huh. like a, it ought to be a smile moment, you know, than we might... Yeah. We might say to her, um, you know, do you really think, do you really want to smirk here or would you rather have, 
Or would you rather have this be a smile? Like we're, we're trying to be sure that what she's writing is in line with what's being communicated to the reader, that the reader interprets the writing yeah. the way she wants it to be interpreted. Um, and so if there's something like um, that we're reacting negatively to, then we just want to be sure that the reaction we're having is in line with what she has planned. Yeah, I mean, I was more yeah. more curious if it was, if it's your guys' job to come oh. up with the alternative, or if you know, it sounds like you you would seem to take any any little issue, even a matter of a <laughs> word, to describe how someone expressed right well, to Joe. Them. I mean, I I can't even see how that would even work unless we have her on Mr. Um, Messenger. Well, with a word, like that'd be a lot of phone calls. We do we do suggest words occasionally if it's something really little like that. If it's a larger thing in the overall manuscript that needs to be fixed, that's an issue that comes. That's not something I work on so much. That's something that um, Arthur and uh, her British editor Emma work on. And um, like, if suppose we needed to bring out the fact that. Like Fred and George, we felt should play a larger role in the books or something. We would suggest that, like okay. Arthur and Emma would suggest that to her, and then, um, and then she would, if she agreed with that, and if she saw the reasoning behind that, then she would write all that in. We we don't do anything okay. substantive without cool. her approval, and we mostly make suggestions on very small things. That's cool. now, Cheryl. One of my favorite ways that you describe this process is that reading a good book or reading a good manuscript your relationship to it is like yeah it's like falling in love you you say that often can you can you well, explain that a bit that sort of grew out of the relationship that i have to a lot of the books that i like when i talk about the books i love i say i love them <laughs> and um and yeah. and that's <laughs> genuinely sort of the emotion i feel with them is this sort of passionate engagement and it's a metaphor I use more for the submissions process because, like, when people send us manuscripts, they tend to do it first through, like, they send us a letter and where they tell us about the manuscript. It's called a query letter. And I, I usually describe that as being like a pickup line. You know, they're trying to just say something to get our <laughs> attention. And then they send me the manuscript, and um, if I like the pickup line. And at that point, it's sort of all about how you respond to the personality of the writer and what they're telling you. The, the emotional reaction you're having to them as they speak to you, you know? Like, if, are you liking the things they say? Are you liking who the character is? Are you liking, is, are you feeling this sort of overwhelming buildup of goodness <laughs> that would eventually lead to yeah. your committing yourself in some way to this thing? That um, oh, you, no. you let your heart go into it, kind of, and you follow it from there. I've talked about the first chapter of Sorcerer's Stone, the first two chapters of Sorcerer's Stone about this before, because you're reading it and you read about the Dursleys and you take such pleasure in hating the Dursleys. Like she just describes yeah. them. She doesn't say like these people are piggish and small minded so much. She just says, you know, that they have a long neck and then Mrs. Dursley likes spying on her neighbors. She really shows them to you as they are. And you... As, as you see them as they are, like you sort of come to despise them and you enjoy despising them because they're so awful. And then Dumbledore comes in and Dumbledore, as opposed to the Dursleys, is so wonderful, you know, purple shoes and yeah. twinkling eyes and glasses and everything. Mm -hmm. And you really connect with him, partly because you hate the Dursleys and partly because he's so mm -hmm. great. And, and then, you know, and then there's this magical world that they're drawing you into. They just give you little hints of like, did you hear about, you know, is Hagrid coming on the flying motorcycle and, and right. stupid Daedalus Diggle, you know, shooting off the stars or whatever. And so you're 
responding to that sort of in the same way you respond to the essence of a person when you first meet them. Like, oh, I like this. And it's a very subtle thing. And the with the difference between good writers and bad writers oftentimes is that you can see the architecture with the bad writers and with the good writers, you just fall. You just go. And Harry, it's it's just sort of instantaneous, you know, that you just dip into it a little bit and then suddenly you're drawn through hating the Dursleys by her wonderful humor, by the way you feel connected yeah. to Harry, and then you feel sorry for Harry for a long time through mm-hmm. that. And um, one of my favorite scenes early in the books is when he's at, at the boa constrictor in chapter two. And um, he, he's looking at the boa constrictor and he realizes that, you know, the boa constrictor is talking to him and he, and he feels sorry for the boa constrictor. You know, he puts himself in the boa constrictor's place. And that's such a selfless act and such a wonderful act, you know, that he really thinks about other people that you feel strongly connected to him. And the, you like him, you know, he, he, it's, there's nothing there about Harry was a good boy or whatever, but they just, you just see him reacting genuinely to the snake, sympathizing with the snake and finally, unbeknownst to him, setting it free. And um, as opposed to Dudley, who's in that same scene, you know, knocking on the glass and being like, I want an ice cream and everything. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I talk about those two chapters a lot just because they're such great examples of characterization getting a reader hooked into a mm-hmm. story, drawing you on. They set up all the mysteries, you know. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. They're wonderful. So, mm-hmm. so Harry, Harry Potter is, is that, that charming, and Harry Potter, I mean the books, is that charming, dashing guy who walks into the bar, walks over and smiles, doesn't say, doesn't say anything cheesy, you automatically he just says, love him, He just says something nice. Out. He shows he's a good guy. He is... Um, He's intriguing, you know? <laughs> he says things yeah. that, 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 that attract you and make you wonder, hey, you know, there's some depth here. There's stuff going on here that I want to know more about. And then he gives you his number and he calls back the next day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And it's all it's you can do It's too bad Harry stop. Potter's not real, huh? I don't go there because he's my character. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 think it's, I think it's a great metaphor. I like, I like thinking of it like that because that is, it, it, it's so easy to gloss over that. But when you go down and you break it down, well, this is why we're... So many people ask me, I got asked yesterday, what is it? What is it about Harry Potter? And when you look at it like that and you realize all the building blocks that she probably didn't even think she was... Mm-hmm consciously doing you know it wasn't like well i'll show here that he's compassionate right yeah you know i think she was just kind of laying out her story but um how that builds into this mr prince charming of a book is uh is pretty cool anyway what are some of the other things that you've edited that you have the same relation to uh i the first book i ever worked on you mentioned i think in my introduction it was this wonderful book called millicent min girl genius by a writer named lisa Yi, and it was her first novel and it was the first novel i had edited i co-edited it with arthur so sort of our learning book together and it just has sort of the same thing i was showing i was saying about harry this wonderful it shows you who this character is it doesn't tell you it's about this girl who is a child prodigy and the very first thing she said is she says is something like people say i'm a perfectionist anal retentive and overachiever like those are bad things you know, you could just hear who this person is just from the way she talks. And she tells a wonderful story about how um, this girl makes a friend for the first time. And it's just a, a lovely, charming book. And then Lisa turned it around mm. in the next book and wrote the same story from the perspective of a boy character, the boy who Millicent tutors. 
And um, and then we and she's just completed working on um, the third book in the trilogy, which is told from the perspective of Stanford's crush and Millicent's best friend. And they're all three completely different books, but they all sort of show the same scenes. So it's almost like she's written fan fiction of herself, kind of. But but, but, yeah. they're, but they're fantastic. Really cool. They're fantastic. Yeah. It's like writing the books from Hermione's right. perspective. Or right. It's the Ender's Game approach. Uh, um, yeah. There you go, Joe. You got that next. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hear it from Ron's point of view. And, and 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 one of the things I love about it just shows you how how different people are, you know, because there's you read Stanford and you mm-hmm. don't realize that all this stuff was going on with Millicent. Uh, sorry, you, re- you didn't realize all this stuff was going on with Stanford when, it, when you were reading Millicent. You just didn't get that sense of his depth because, you know, the book's about Millicent. And so I love the way that she just opens up her characters. And they're very, very funny, too. I wanted to ask you, what, when you get these books, you get these, these books by, like, these new authors, and, and you get these books by Joe. When you were talking about falling in love, one of the great moments for me as a reader is to get that book and hold it in my hand. Yeah. I mean, what is it like for you when you get these incredible books or these things? I mean, what, it, what, it, what, it, what goes through your mind? I mean, what, how do you feel when you get, like, the new, the latest Harry Potter book or these, these new Lisa Yu books? I mean, what, how do you feel? Um... Do you mean when they're printed? Yeah, yeah, when she gets it in her hands and she has yeah. this, mm-hmm. this, this book. I mean, what, what, what's that like for you? That she worked mm-hmm. on. It's, what's that like for it's, you? It's so satisfying because at very long last, you know, um, like Lisa has been, I just today turned in the manuscript for t- So Totally, Emily Ebers, to copy editing. Mm-hmm. And it's a manuscript um, we've been working on for a year, you know, through three very mm-hmm. intensive drafts and getting deeper into the character. And when I get the book in my hands, um, I just feel pride in, so much in what the author has done and how far she's come and, and what a great book it is, you know? Yeah. I also do feel slight terror at the fact that I might yeah. open it up and be like, oh no, I misspelled, you know, Hagrid or something like that. But um, <laughs> I didn't catch that one thing. But, but, and with Harry, there's so much excitement just because, you know, you get it in your hands and it's like... Here it is, you know, in a month or month and a half, people will have this book too, and th- we'll get to share right. every all this information with them at last, and mm-hmm. it's great. Is that like just pure torture, though, for you when you get this book, and then you're just like bubbling with all this, oh, I can't wait to what people see, or I mean, how is that like? No, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why it's I know not what torture she's going to say. Let me tell you why it's not torture for okay. her, because she tortures me instead. Oh, see. <laughs> see. Uh-huh. She Poor actually looked at me oh. once and said, I know something you don't know. <laughs> and it was so mean, but it was so funny. Oh. That was in the context of I just know, lost it's, a it's all, it's and I was bitter. <laughs> right. Cheryl doesn't lose at Scrabble. It doesn't happen. And, it's, and it, it is the it's only not time. Really, it's only, it's, it's not the really only pure time. torture keeping the secret. Because, I mean, I can talk about it with mm-hmm. Arthur and all the other people I work with. And I work with a really fantastic right. staff of copy editors. Um, there's we have we have a woman who's done her name's Susan who has done the last couple of first copy edits and a, woman, a wonderful woman named Ronnie who's done this first proofread when it's actually in set pages and then we've had other people work on the second and third proofreads and um, so we talk about it you know we theorize among ourselves and everything the harder thing is that I 
I go through all the emotions the first about six months before everybody else. So, and then yeah. I read the books again and again. And so that sort of gets desensitized. So by the time, you know, we get to the time book six came out, everybody's like, oh no, Dumbledore died. And I was like, that happened six months ago for me, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and so I, so I, so like, my, ah, I'm my, the next my sympathy is a little bit. It's not that I don't understand the emotion, absolutely, but I've already been yeah. through that grieving process, and so it's different. Wow. Yeah. I mean, wh- wh- where were we when uh, six months after we read book six? It was that that puts us past the New York yeah. podcast. Yeah, that was Christmas. Yeah. And it's, it's so like we weren't, I mean, we were kind of over it by then, weren't we? I don't know I if mean, you ever get over it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're not over it, but we weren't like traumatized. The pain is, the immediate pain is gone. It's more of a fact. Mm-hmm. It's like living hey, with these hey, people, and, of, and they die, and you grieve, and go on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the the premiere, though, I did have a question that, that I don't know. It just kind of occurred to me here uh, about the, the mm. movies. Um, you you talk about how uh, intimately you're involved in um, getting these books out there and just getting the message across that Joe wants to get across. So. Obviously, that's a lot of attention to a lot of important details, a lot of characterizations, a lot of things like that. And I'm just curious from your, what your perspective is of when you are uh, watching, these, watching these movies come out and, and you see little, little things and their little changes or sometimes big changes or things like, <laughs> you know, changing right. around the Hermione characterization to take things from right. Ron and things like that. And it's like... It's like, like, is it is it kind of harder for you uh, from from what your job was to make the book that they just you know I, I, obviously we haven't seen anything a, a movie for right. five and six yet but do, do you think that that you'll you'll have a different kind of reaction to that or more meaningful? Well, I know the text so well or well enough that um, most times when I'm watch I I usually have to see the movies twice because the first time I see them I'm I'm just mostly cataloging oh they left that out oh they left that out you know. And, and, but the second time I see them, I'm able to, I've, I've accepted all these things, you know, and, and I've, I've adjusted from the book version, the book, I'm sorry, the book vision, which is the book's vision of the story to the movie's vision of the story. And that does take me two watchings to do, but, but I really respect the ways a lot, all the screen, a lot of the screenwriters have adapted the books and what they've chose to emphasize. And I, I was, I love Prisoner of Azkaban, the movie. I thought that Alfonso Cuaron was a great director for it and. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, Cheryl, I think it's about that time. Okay. To say bye to this extendable ears. Um, Gosh, I don't know what we're going to do with this. This has been awesome. I know. It's so great. I want to keep going, but (sighs) it's almost half an hour. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're marvelous. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. We got to have you back again. Okay. That sounds good. Let's 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 have Ron right when she's in the thick of it. Yeah. Right, right. I'll just come on yeah, and say, "Sorry, guys, I gotta stop editing Harry Potter." You'll, you'll ask me questions. Yeah. I'll just sound like they. No, yeah. no, she well, won't actually. We, we she's like, she's like the Gibraltar. Know. No, no, no. You don't understand. She was at July two weeks before before <laughs> Edinburgh. She was at my house in Jersey with my family. Okay, and we know. I've said many times that my family's not mafia, but they they, they know they the technique stereotype for a joke. Yeah, and they sat around encouraging the idea that they would have her whacked if she didn't <laughs> tell us who the half-blood prince was. No. <laughs> we tortured her for three days. Aww. It made up for all it the torture hilarious. she did to me. They were like, 
It was so funny. They kept passing by and going, you know, you know, Melissa, we know a guy. Come on. You know, like <laughs> stuff like that. Or they'd be like, can you pass the cannoli? Are, uh, do you like this cannoli? Who's the half-blood prince? You know, like yeah. strings of questions <laughs> trying to. That's awesome. exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah. <laughs> and then my cousin my cousin joe took took the ron approach to it and he he like you know when ron's trying to find out um who who hermione's going to the ball with and he keeps asking her questions like that like do you pass cannoli he kept going oh so so do you do you like that book great is that that's an important part in harry potter right great so do you like that about harry potter great would you say that's important in book yeah. six and i said <laughs> that's an Cheryl excellent would just question go, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was awesome so no she won't crack awesome we tried yeah. all right guys let's go to the okay. drums okay guys thank you Cheryl. Bye. That's good, Melissa. Sure, you hear the drums? <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Aren't they beautiful drums? We do this every week. We do a little bum, bum, bum section. It's yep. really human techno. Just go, you're wasting time already. already. That usually comes at the end of the wrap up. We're already got it at the beginning. Oh. We got a huge show. Huge show, Cheryl. Oh my gosh. I'm so you glad rock. that we had you for this whole show. You were on the first guest to be on the entirety of Podcast. Woohoo! I feel so honored. Rightly so. Rightly so. Absolutely. Thank you for doing it. My pleasure. So we've been talking a lot about Cheryl and what she looks for in in writing, and I know that a lot of people who listen to Pottercast are aspiring writers themselves. And so Cheryl, how should they go about seeing if something that they have might fit what you want? Well, I have a website at... um there are two websites you should check out, actually. One is www.arthuralevinebooks.com. All one word. I think it should be on the back flap of Half-Blood Prince, actually. <laughs> and uh, if, you check that, if you check that out, um, you can find out all about the books we've published and our editorial philosophy and everything like that. And then I have a website at www.cherylkline.com. And that also, um, it has some talks I've given on writing, including a whole long exposition on the, fa- on the falling in love thing. And uh, my submission guidelines are on there with the, the kind of things I'm looking to publish and um, an address at which you can send them to me. And you also have a code word that they should add to a submission if they get it from your site, but can we have a special Pottercast code word? Uh, the Potter... Oh, that's a good question. Um, the Pottercast code word can be... You can put Chipotle on there. There we go. Yay. So if you write Chipotle on your... If you, if you submit to Cheryl as a result of this podcast and you write Chipotle on the front of the envelope, she'll know. Yes. I win. <laughs> Excellent. It's I want to know, Cheryl. I want to know if somebody sends you something that you guys eventually get published because that would make me the happiest little book. That would be ever. awesome. That would oh, be so great. Pottercast making. We'd all have to dedicate making the book to John. Publishing history yes, we would. <laughs> a new one. <laughs> I'm the best. <laughs> You're the best. I'm the best. You're the best. So, Cheryl and I had a lot of fun this week, guys. Good. We went to the Draco and the Malfoy slash Harry and the Potters concert. At the Knitting Factory in New York. Oh, wow. A lot of you probably have already seen the video, which we've put up by now. Um, yeah, it rocked. <laughs> right, Cheryl? It was so great. There were so many passionate people there and and passionate about the music and passionate about the books. It was terrific. Did everybody oh. go, oh my God, it's two BNFs and one... <laughs> I hate that word. Um, somebody did that to Melissa, this this very sweet young and woman. And then later did met. it to you. 
she she it, I didn't get the big reaction you did, which is that her <laughs> eyes popped open and she looked like a cartoon character for a moment, <laughs> and she started hyperventilating. <laughs> but she was, was so nice. She was so sweet. Her name was Emily. Um, yes, and there was such a such a a different bunch of fans there. It was really interesting because yeah. I I had squeezed my way to the front to take video for the video thing, and I had to stand in front of this girl. And she was getting a little bit tiffy about it, and I thought maybe she thought that I shouldn't be there. So I thought, well, I'll explain to her that this is for the fans. So I said, you know, I'm videoing this because I want to get a good shot because it's going to be on podcast, and you know, this way everybody can see it. And she went, she sort of like nodded at me, and I went, all right. And I turned around, and I heard I heard her say to her friend. I don't care about Pottercast. It's so funny. No. <laughs> I swear to God, I almost fell over. I was like, "That's the best." But then we we made friends later because we kept switching spots. But yeah, no, those. It is a whole a different type of Harry fan. Potter fan at those shows. Yeah. So how was the music? Yeah. Is what I want to know. Was it good? Mm-hmm. You enjoyed the concert? It was great. They're really talented, and and the lyrics are funny. Like both Draco and the Malfoys, and Harry and the Potters, and. They were just ripping these guitarists, you know. And, yeah. And then they would stand up. And uh, I think the younger brother of Harry and the Potters. I think that's Paul. Or is that Joe, Joe. Melissa? I, Joe. It, okay. By looks, Joe. it's Joe. Or actually, both of them would stand on the, on the stage or on the chairs and make these terrific long speeches about the power of love and the power <laughs> of rock and how they both yeah. came Woo-hoo. from more than Harry Potter and how we could use these things to fight the man who, of course, is Voldemort. Right. <laughs> Voldemort hates it when it you come so together great. and you rock. And yes. He hates it when yes. you have a good time. And he really, really hates when you sing along. <laughs> and so it went into their song, Voldemort Can't Stop the Rock. It was really just so much fun. And there were three concerts. Well, no, there were three bands that I saw in New York last week. Like, wow. There, but now there's not, there's not only Harry and the Potters. There's Draco and the Malfoys. There's the Moaning Murders. There's the Hermione Granger Experience. There's the Hungarian Horntails, which is a seven-year-old kid, apparently. <laughs> Wow. It's supposed to be excellent. There's the Remus the Lupins. The Lupins. Oh, yeah. The Dobby yeah. and the House Elves. So good. There are Dobby and the House Elves. No, seriously, there are. There's Melissa really? and the Anellis. There is Melissa and the Anellis. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. <laughs> That's a different category, though. They're so sweet. Um, but wow. Yeah, Wait, no, it's... Leaky and the Butterbeers. It's <laughs> Leaky and the Butterbeers. Oh, I want to be in that group. <gasps> please, please. Oh. Sue, I think you can be. It. Okay, thanks. Sue and the Hufflepuffs. <laughs> Oh man, rock on! <laughs> oh gosh, no, but it's it's just, it's just a whole a whole different experience out there. They're writing these awesome songs. Draco and the Malfoys wrote a song called "My Dad Is Rich and Your Dad Is Dead." Yes, <laughs> Draco to Harry, and then <laughs> that's mean. I know, but it's so yeah. funny. And it goes, "Your your family is poor" is another one. <laughs> they have this very comical way about them. Right. The, the Umbridge song is totally punk. It sounds like the Ramones or something. And uh, it's called Stick cool. It to Umbridge. <laughs> and, the entire, and, the, and the entire chorus is, Oh my God, she looks like a frog. Oh my God, she looks like a frog. Repeated eight times. It was great. <gasps> yeah. Just, it's got this. And now I'm stuck to it because um, Harry from Harry and the Potters, which is, um, this one was Paul, as we did a little interview. And as I left, he's like, oh, you should have some music. And he hands me a stack of four CDs. Yes, I score. My my weight in the Potter world got me four CDs. So um, I've been listening to it like like cool pretty much all weekend. Cool. And then the Draco and the Malfoys also also have um, ninety nine red balloons <laughs> changed into ninety nine Death Eaters, <laughs> which I guess is a filk. So funny. Speaking of filks, Cheryl. Mm. Yes. 
We have an experienced yeah, poker this, on our mix. This is how I earned my third tea this week, was that I uh-huh. wrote John's version of New York, New York that he's going to be singing um, to if someone. We're singing. I don't know. Or a recording or something. It's the way it's looking oh, right now. Lumos. Yeah. It's the way it's Are looking. Are still winning Podcast Still the top of Podcast Alley. Oh my god. Woohoo. Yeah. Top Harry Potter podcast this week, this this month. Only one of them results in John singing. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. And yep. I know Noi Lover 42 was getting pretty excited <laughs> yeah. about it. Noi Lover 42 is Joe, Cheryl. Or so he oh, okay. claims. When, when Joe gets uh-huh. on Skype, she, okay. she said, I don't go in the chat rooms and this and that. Except for when I'm at Lover 42. Mm-hmm. on her website. That's how you know. Yeah. Silence. Silence. <laughs> but Cheryl, that's not the first filk you've written. No. Um, that's I I wrote a filk that you and John sing. You wrote the I most wrote, it's infamous filk in all of our podcasts. Infamous. No, see, as an editor, I object to the word infamous. Because that... Yes. that <laughs> that implies bad. That implies like it was criminal or something like that. So <laughs> maybe notorious yes. is a better word. The one that Melissa will never sing again, or so she claims. No, well, no, John nice. did it beautifully, and it was all fine, and it, it all went down well, and then it got put on another show. And oh, I, you make them decide the fate of our stuff. They're I not just to do that to us. I'm brave in many ways. This is not one of them. Oh, Melissa, I say it's. It is Christmas in July again in Vegas, and we need to no. reprise that song. I think no. we have to give it a reprieve in, the, in, in Joe's month Be compassionate of like Joe. Yes. No. I think mm. Cheryl would be insulted if we don't, wouldn't you, Cheryl? I think it would be really nice to see, but I'm Melissa's friend, and so oh, yes. <laughs> whatever she doesn't want to do, I'm not going to make her do. She's so sweet, isn't she? <laughs> Minor detail, except. Well, anyway, I want to play a game because Ooh. Cheryl has a great game that we can play, and I want to make this into a contest. Okay. Well, when I was when I was in college, um, somebody posted this thing in one of our internet forums that was so funny that I have saved it for seven years. And um, I found out last night recently. I was talking to somebody and I was telling him about this. He's like, "Oh, that's been floating around the internet forever." I thought, "Oh no," but whatever it is, whether it's original to my friend Bill Murray. Not the Bill Murray, but name is Bill Murray. Or whether it's um, something that you've heard before. It is still really, really funny. And so this is um, lines from Star Wars that can be improved by substituting pants for keywords. <laughs> the word pants? Okay. And Okay. Okay. So, um, so for instance... Um, there's the... Uh, <laughs> there's the, the... There's Luke's... Um, immortal statement to someone where he says, Han will have those pants down. We've got to give him more time. <laughs> or, um, they're really great in the list. Um, or Darth Vader talking to someone um, and he says, um, she must have hidden the plans in her pants. Send a detachment down to retrieve them. See to it personally, Commander. And then I later, I find your lack of pants disturbing. I find your lack of pants disturbing. Yes. Right. So here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do this with Harry Potter. Oh, cool! Oh, Yay! I've got it now. And we have some extra tickets to the Joe reading floating around. Mm-hmm. Some extra Ooh. good tickets, good. and we'll have more details on exactly where they are. But there's some there's some really good seats, and I think that the top 
one submissions that we get in on this should should win. What Ooh. about you guys? Oh, that's Ooh. awesome. That's slick. So let's let's do a couple to show you. But if you find the funniest pants line, yeah. the line from Harry Potter that you can replace a keyword with pants, and it come, which are the funniest ones, get the tickets. Oh, awesome. That's great. Okay. Wow. So. Horcruxes in his pants. I have Axio pants here. Axio. <laughs> Harry Potter. Axio pants. You two just apparated on my pants. Which is a Fred and George line. Percy wouldn't yeah. recognize a joke if it danced naked in front of him wearing Dobby's pants. <laughs> pants at the me? ready. <laughs> but it's naked. He can't have pants. I know. But no, he had the tea cozy, so he could have pants. pants That's why it's funny. Way. Anyway, do you guys have some? Well, I was just thinking about Lockhart. All the stuff that Lockhart is, you use pants at any of his. Cheryl, you got book six handy? I do have book six handy. Let's see. Now, here. you know that there's one yeah. that the word pants is almost criminal to yeah. <laughs> to insert. Oh. We are I, a family show. Yes, we are not. a family show, yeah. <laughs> I don't think yeah. we can do it. So, so that one. Well, here, here. I just flipped one. up book. I just, book, I've just flipped over book four randomly to the end of chapter 33 mm-hmm. and it says, Now untie him, Wormtail, and give him back his pants. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so wrong. It is. In so many ways, but so oh. funny. <laughs> and this is from book six. It is a long time since my last visit, said Dumbledore, peering down his crooked nose at Uncle Vernon. I must say, your pants are flourishing. Your Oh. <laughs> this is going to get bad real yes, So many is. opportunities. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, my gosh. So yeah, guys, if you have ideas on that, send them in to staff at pottercast.com. As many as you want, and the funniest ones win. 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 Tickets to see Joe. Yep. Even if you have tickets already, these might be better. Yeah. We, have a very, we had a very ni- nice donor, somebody who is unable to use part of their family pack and would like us to give them out as we, dis- as we choose. And so Ooh, awesome. we decided to have a little contest. Good for them. They were very nice. It's very generous of them. So. Very nice. Yes. Very, very That's nice. Awesome. Yeah. We'll have more information. That's great. Yeah. They consider it a donation to Harry Potter fans. Yes. Aw. Leaky fans rock, so, man. Just the greatest. So, guys. Well, yeah. Cheryl. It's a sad time at the show. I know. The time we say goodbye. It's long. We'll never get to talk to Cheryl again in our lives. Oh. Or maybe maybe in a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Mel and I are going on tour, you know. People can yep. come see us in Chicago and Las Vegas and That's L.A. Right. Chicago, July 20th. Out? L.A., July 25th, which is right near the Lumos Hotel. So if you're coming in early on the 25th, um, you know, we're right there. And then there's July 30th. 30th? 30th. 30th. In L.A. Yep. Wow. Are you so. going to hang around uh, Lumos and hang out and do the thing or um, I, I'm not attending the conference per se um, I'm not registered or anything but um, I will be hanging out cool so Are you coming to the podcast I will definitely come to the podcast yay, and yay. yay. are you going to come to our rockin after party at the hotel room <laughs> if I'm invited Cheryl, you're oh. going to be living there. <laughs> yeah. Anybody with that many teas is invited right. to any after party. She's going to have a key. <laughs> so. yeah. Okay. You, you got that many teas, it's like you're already on the list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I think it's time to say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Okay. Goodbye. Thank you, Cheryl. For that was probably it's been great. the you best awesome. podcast with Cheryl that we've ever had. Ever. <laughs> ever. The best one ever. Yeah. Easily. Awesome. Yeah. This is a great, great one. Thank you, Cheryl. Mm-hmm. 
Especially for putting up with like four hours of recording. Yeah, just a mess. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. You're wasting time. All right, guys. Adieu. Okay. Good night. Guys, have a good week. Bye, everyone. We love you. Woohoo. W. Free. Oh, and about time, too. We've missed it. I confess myself disappointed. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to bed. Great, Scott. No wonder. Look at the time. We've been here nearly four hours. Spooky how the time flies when one's having fun. (laughs) 